Welcome to the 79th episode of Two Writers Slingin' Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, a former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a contributor to The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissants from the sizzling MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from sports writing to screenwriting to comics to novels to horror to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today, I'm switching up mediums a bit. My guest is Marshall Ramsey, the editorial cartoonist for the Clarion Ledger, Mississippi's largest daily newspaper. And Marshall has had a really big run of late. In the aftermath of President George H.W. Bush's death, he created an incredibly moving cartoon that went viral. And before that, when Barbara Bush died, he created an incredibly moving cartoon that also went viral. So we're going to chat editorial cartooning, how to convey via imagery, what sort of limited language needs to be used, how to respond when a politician thinks you're the scum of the earth, and a politician's son flies you up 15,000 feet into the air, spins you upside down, and then tells you so. Yeah, you heard that right. It's fun, it's great, and it's now. A two writers, slinging the egg. All right, Marshall, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. You're the first editorial cartoonist I've ever had on this podcast, uh, and this is the uh, 79th or 80th episode. And when I told you that off the, before we started recording, you said that's, that's because so many of us end up in insane asylums. And I said, ha, ha, ha. And you said, no, I'm kind of being serious. I'm not, I'm not painting the whole profession, but no, I, I, it's actually happened. Kind of scary. Wait, why? Why do you think that is? What is it about your profession that lends people to uh, insanity? I don't know if it's the profession per se. I just think, you know, one thing about creativity is it seems like uber creative people, a lot of times there can be depression thrown in there too. And I think it's just like if you have incredibly fertile mind, you have like incredibly incredibly fertile field, you can either grow great crops or great weeds. And I think just sometimes that happens. Is there a certain kind of person, besides artistic, is there a certain kind of person who becomes an editorial cartoonist? You know, I used to go to the conventions quite a bit and I kind of, I kind of fit the profile. I mean, you know, I'm kind of like white dude, middle age, you know, I mean, I kind of, that seems to be, there's, you know, you got Signe Wilson, who's fantastic. You've got Ann uh, Tanalis, who's at Washington Post, or a couple of females are doing it. And of course, Etta Hume did it for Dallas. But for the most part, it's pretty much, you know, a white male thing. And I don't know if that's because we were the kids that sat around and tried to be class clowns drawing pictures or what the deal was with that. But it just, um, yeah, it's everybody kind of has that same personality. I'm I'm a little different. I mean, I don't just sit at my drawing board. I do other things, too. But a lot of times, you know, we're kind of solitary and sit behind the drawing board. You sort of blew up recently. Not that they were back to back, but you had two recent cartoons in relation to the uh, the deaths of uh, first Barbara and then George H.W. Bush. Your first one was when 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 Barbara died. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's Barbara basically in heaven with a halo and, and wings screaming Robin and her the daughter who they lost at five to leukemia running toward her saying mama with a, you know, wings and a, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this. I am somewhere between agnostic and atheistic. I believe when you die, you die. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe my grandma's waiting for me. I don't believe, you know, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I just don't. But when I saw your edit, your, your cartoon, I got chills. I was blown away. It made me genuinely, this sounds cheesy, but I actually mean it. It made me genuinely hope that this happens, even though intellectually I know it doesn't. 
Right. Um, so that's a long wind up to saying, how did you come up with this? Why did you decide to go that route? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, she, she had COPD. My mom had COPD. My mom died not long ago. So when they said she was stopping treatment, I realized, oh, this is going to happen pretty soon. But I didn't really think about what I was going to draw. And when I heard it was in the evening and I was busy doing job number one, which is being a dad, you know, kind of like the same way you kind of view things. And, yeah. and, and so I just didn't stop what I was doing and draw a picture. And I didn't like send, I didn't want to just send her into the gates of heaven, clutching her pearls or doing something like that. But I started thinking about it. And, and the next morning when I sat down and thought, I said, you know, here's a person who has had everything in the world. I mean, she's wife of a president, mother of a president. She had her own platform. Everybody knew her. Um, money, travel, fame, you name it. She had it. But she had probably the worst thing that could happen to a parent, period, happen to her. And that was lose a child. And, of course, I had read John Meacham's fantastic book on the bushes. Um, you know, Meacham's one of those kind of people you want to reserve for your funeral. Um, yeah. he, you know, he could, he could read the phone book and make everybody inspired. And I was just reading it and I, and I was reading about Robin and how they felt about it. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably the direction I'll go because obituary cartoons can get super cheesy really fast. And so I did that and I posted it in the morning, probably posted around eight o'clock. And then within an hour, Jenna Bush Hager had posted it on her Instagram. And at that point it was just kaboom because what had happened and, and unbeknownst to me, that was like one of her big wishes is that she would see Robin again. And right. so in the same, in the same way with the president too. And so, you know, it's kind of, I kind of went at it as a parent, but I accidentally tapped into something that was very important to them as a family. And, you know, I can understand where you're coming from on the afterlife, but for me, just the way I, and, and I'm not going to say that's what I, I really hope heaven isn't just clouds because clouds are cold and wet. I don't want any part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point about it is, you know, the thing is, it's all about love, you know, not to sound like the Beatles or something, but truly love is that one thing that will cure and heal you. And I saw that with my own dad, you know, right at the very end, he was like shooting out my grandmother's name and a few other things. And, you know, I knew that he was at peace because for some reason, all these parts in his life were starting to be put together there right at the end. And that's that's what I kind of hope for them. It's a cartoon with literally two words. Robin, right. double exclamation mark, and three hearts surrounding it uh, in, in a huge font, or it's already a font, your handwriting. And then Mama in very small. And that's it. You could have had Barbara Bush saying, Robin, it's so great to see you. And the girl saying, Mama, 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 you know, whatever. There are a million different ways you could have gone with it. Um, how do you decide what to write, what words to use? You know, it's funny. I actually do write as well as doing drawing, and it's so different. Um, but I think the best cartoons have the fewest words. Uh, and and I, I say that, I mean, there's there's some folks like Tom Tomorrow, who's amazing and he can throw a phone book in there. Uh, but me, I just try to do as few as words possible. And so I just I wanted everybody to know who the little girl was. And the mama was an afterthought. I had actually drawn it without it. And then I thought, well, you know, how would this little girl know who this lady with white hair and pearls is? Because she sure didn't look like that in the 50s. Right. So. I just threw the mama out there and I'll be honest with you. I think the mama was the most important part of the whole thing because that's what everybody I've talked to. That was the one thing that really that grabbed them on that. But, you know, I look back, I look at some of my nine 11 cartoons. I look at some of the cartoons I did after Katrina. I look at some of, um, I mean, just basically the less words, usually the better. Um, you actually, it's really interesting. I, I didn't think about this, but you could have had, like Barbara Bush is so recognizable and you drew her in such a recognizable way. 
she doesn't really even have to be saying Robin there, does she? Yeah, I think so, because I don't think people would have known who Robin was because now they see Robin and they might just, you know, hit the Google machine and see what. Oh, OK. They had a lost right. a daughter because a lot a lot of people that saw that and talked to me said, I didn't even realize they had lost a daughter until I saw that. So right. I, I, that that I had to put in. there. So how long does it take you to actually is there a lot of uh, sketch, erase, change? Blah, like, how are you? In fact, how are you drawing Barbara Bush's face? Are you looking at a picture of Barbara Bush as you do it? How do you decide the daughter has blonde hair? How do you like how do you make the little decisions about what you're doing artistically? If it's if it's somebody I haven't drawn a lot and granted, I drew Barbara Bush a lot in the in the 90s, late 80s and early 90s. But um, if it's somebody I haven't drawn a lot, just Google picture, you know, and go from there and and try to look for the top features. In fact, probably one of the most important bits of advice I ever got was from Jack Davis. Uh, Jack, of course, for many years was the the amazing uh, illustrator for Mad Magazine and, of course, did a lot of commercial stuff for Madison Avenue, too. But Jack, I, I did a caricature and he was looking at it and he said, you know, and he, he, he did a couple things to my drawing to make it better, which, OK. Um, but he looked at me and he said, you know, when you do a caricature, somebody, you got to get the eyes right. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, when you look at somebody and talk to them, you look them in the eye, right? Yeah. Well, if you don't get the eyes right, then it doesn't look like them. So. You know, I look for features and so forth and try to do that caricature. Uh, But with her, you know, I mean, it it didn't have to be a portrait. It just had to be a quick caricature. And I think the pearls and everything else, she kind of had her own trademark. Right. How long did it take you to to make soup to nuts? Um, It depends how the idea. The idea is usually the hardest part. The drawing, eh, two hours, maybe. I can do that pretty quickly. Yeah. So I've done, I mean, I've done it to six hours, but I mean, life doesn't really allow me to have that much time anymore. Right. So, um, you do a, uh, George Bush dies. It's almost like, it almost feels like a sequel cartoon in a lot of ways. I don't know if you thought of it that way. I guess you probably did. I did. It's uh, an airplane that says George H.W. Bush on it, you know, a a World War II plane. And it's Barbara, the daughter and George H.W. Bush holding hands on a cloud and says, Barbara saying, we waited for you. Yeah, I got chills just reading that, man. That's it's so freaking good. Did you think of it as a sequel? Were you thinking when you did the Barbara Bush one originally? Were you thinking, oh, when George dies, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Like, no. how did this come to be? I, I I don't generally think that far ahead. But this this was a little different case because you remember after during her visitation, he sat there and greeted every single person that came through, which I thought was one of the most incredible acts I've seen in a long time. But he got really sick, too, after that. He got a virus. I think he got sepsis. And anybody knows anything about sepsis, you don't usually bounce back. So I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to end up having to draw a second cartoon within two weeks. And I thought about having him arriving and them waiting for him. So that was how far I got into it. And then, of course, him being George Bush, he bounced back. So I thought, OK. Right. Uh, so I kind of forgot about it because I, you know, I don't want to kill people off. So, and I don't draw it ahead and have it waiting there. You know, I don't have like a big file of obituary cartoons and, and so forth. So I guess it's Friday night when he passed away. And, and, you know, I mean, I was asleep in the couch and, and, um, my wife came and she started shaking me. She said, Hey, George Bush died. I was like, Oh, Oh no. So I got up and I had that idea basically. And the, threw the airplane in there basically because, well, that was kind of representative of him, not just because he was a pilot in World War II, but, but just because of the service component. So I wanted to get that in there. And, and I always loved drawing airplanes as a kid. So that kind of shows a little bit in that drawing. So I think all the elements worked really well. Um, and once again, 
when you're sitting there listening to, you know, George 43 giving the eulogy and he basically at the very end almost describes your cartoon and what his wishes for his dad was, you're realizing, oh, wow, I, I, I guess I nailed it. But I yeah. thought it turned out really well. And it was a book. I mean, it was a bookend cartoon. I mean, it literally was. You had that and then that. And I mean, politics aside, you know, and I know right now in the South, there's a really terrible habit of of saying only nice things about people when they die, like the devil dies. And you say, man, he had a way of warming up a room, you mm-hmm. know, and and I'm not saying George Bush was a devil in any means. But, you know, and I think part of it's just because of, of the time that we're in right now. I mean, George Bush looks really good right now. Uh, just because yeah. of what we've been through since 2016. And so, um, but just to sit there and, and to hear the family, how much they loved him and what a difference he made and, and so forth. I mean, I watched that funeral yesterday and I just was like, this is incredible. All right. So um, I'm fascinated how your brain works here. So I'm going to throw something at you. And, and I, I, I don't even mean it politically. Like I don't, and I'm certainly not wishing for this, despite how I feel. You find out you wake up tomorrow morning and Donald Trump dies of a heart attack. Yes. How does your brain work? Where does it go? How do you, I mean, that's a weird one and that's a challenging one. And where do you go? Um, yeah, put on the tombstone, making America great again. Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, for your first thought is just like that. That's pretty good. Right. Actually, that, yeah. there was a pause there for me thinking, wait a second, that's actually really smart. Right. Yeah. No, you know, I don't know. I mean, that one, that one would be kind of tough. But I mean, because like I said, I would have probably done a different cartoon about George Bush in 1988, but it's still the president of the United States. Um, so I don't know. I just, yeah, the Trump thing. I just, he needs to lay off the Big Macs. You're right about the heart attack because he, he's not looking real healthy these days. You know, you hear comedians ask about Trump a lot, you know, is he good for your job? And, and I think interviewers always expect comedians to say, oh, he's great for a job. And a lot of times you get the opposite. It's like the humor's too obvious. He's too obvious. It's nonstop. It's like a sledgehammer. People don't want to hear about it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. For your profession, is Trump good or bad? Well, I mean, you could probably ask Rob Rogers about that one up in Pittsburgh. Good Lord. Yeah. He got fired for doing Trump cartoons because suddenly his own, the owner of the paper fell in love with him. Um, right. Yeah, it's like the captains turn on the no joking sign. You know, I mean, it's amazing how uh, I people are, you know, I do a Trump cartoon. Of course, I live in Mississippi. I think probably one of the few states that's like really about 90 percent, you know, pro Trump. So I catch a lot of grief whenever I do it. And I'm fine with that. I don't mind. But it's just uh, it's kind of funny because people get really bent about this guy when you when you do a cartoon making fun of him. Somebody's like, oh, how dare you do unfair cartoons? Well, that makes my hair hurt uh, because generally by nature, cartoons are unfair. And right. how do you do, how dare you do biased cartoons? Well, because they're supposed to be biased, you know, and so that has come up a lot more. We had a mayor here in Jackson, Mississippi, that was very much like Trump, just without nuclear weapons. And he every day he was doing something that would cause literally me to have to do a cartoon about it. And after about a year, you just get fatigue, you know, doing, oh, God, he did something dumb today. What am I going to do? And so I don't know. Trump's Trump's I think he's affected. I they talk about Trump derangement syndrome. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm not quite sure it means what they think it means. It's not like I'm sitting around obsessed about Trump. But Lord knows if I do a Trump cartoon, I usually end up hearing about it very quickly. Is is he a um, easy character to draw? 
Or, or yeah. Oh, yeah. He, oh, he's very easy to draw. I mean, you know, he's very got the distinctive hair. He's got the distinctive eyebrows, the mouth, the lips, everything else. I mean, there's a lot of great caricatures of him running around out there and definitely yeah. hasn't been tough for me. I don't know what it is about presidents, but they generally I mean, if somebody like Dick, Dick Gephardt had become president, that would have been horrible because he right. has no distinguishable features whatsoever. But most of them that run, you know, Michael Dukakis, you know, Ronald Reagan, all these guys, they're very distinctive looking. So it makes it pretty easy. It's funny. So you just got like I always think with Obama, the ears were a big thing. You know, you do the ears. Yes. Trump, it's the hair. Are you looking yeah. for a singular physical characteristic to make yes. it clear who this person is? Yeah. Yeah, you did that. You know, and it's funny. I had a lot of trouble with W uh, initially. And one day I was looking, you know, he didn't look exactly like his dad, but yeah. he did. And he had the same eyes, kind of the same kind of eyes. And so I took the eyes off of his dad and stuck it on W and it was like, boom, just nailed it. And, oh, that's and funny. So I, yeah, it was just one little thing. What are the complications? I mean, you alluded to it, but again, you, you work for the Clarion Ledger. You're in Mississippi. Um, you clearly are not a arch conservative man i i feel safe in saying um what are the do you at all have to cater to your readership do you need to think about your readership do you need to think well i am in a conservative state hence blah 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 does that matter and does that affect what you draw at all Uh, no obviously i'm not going to do cartoons that my children are going to be embarrassed of in 20 years you know i mean if wrong is wrong by god i'm going to say it's wrong and if somebody didn't like it so be it uh you know, I mean, I grew up in a Republican family. I lived out in California. Everybody thought I was super conservative. I move here and I'm a liberal. You know, it's just um, it's a different part of the country. But I mean, I am a Southerner. I grew up in Atlanta. So it's not like, you know, I'm totally in a foreign country. But the nice thing about Mississippi, and I will say this, I mean, it's a, it really actually is a pretty fun place to live because we have an incredible writers community, arts community, musicians live here. We have great athletes. We have great stories. So if you're a storyteller, this is an amazing place to be. But yeah, I, I get a lot of the, well, you know, you're in the minority. How dare you draw cartoons like that? Because I'm going to draw cartoons like I do. And, you know, you do a cartoon like the Barbara Bush cartoon or the George Bush cartoon, and it actually, believe it or not, buys you a little bit of currency because then you can turn around. And if something's egregious and wrong, by God, you can hammer it and, you know, you can get away with it. So it's kind of a, a good deal on that. What's the most negative feedback you've ever received from a cartoon? Mm. You know, um, anytime like the changing the flag or anything like that comes up, usually that's pretty, pretty strong. Uh, Probably, I think the most famous occurrence happened on April 17, 2001. That was the day of the Mississippi flag vote when we were voting to change to get rid of the Confederate battle flag. A lot of controversy with that down here. And so I was, of course, proponent of changing it. And I was getting uh, hate calls all day long, people threatening me. And then at 530 in the afternoon, my doctor called and he said, oh, you've got cancer. And I just started laughing. And he's like, why are you laughing? I said, this was the nicest call I've had all day. Thank you. I appreciate wow. that. You know, and it was so, to me, it put everything in perspective. So but that said, with what happened in Annapolis, um, now you take it a lot more seriously uh, because it just takes one nut to come in and then you're in trouble. Were you actually getting death threats or were you just getting people saying, I'm going to kick your ass? Yeah, I actually did get a couple death threats uh, back then. So, but yeah, no, I, I do get the occasional, I'm going to kick your ass thing. And then um, generally they only say that over the phone. They don't usually say it to my face. So. Yeah. Um, I got, I got to say like, it's kind of funny when you work in this business in a profession like this, 
Um, you know, like every now and then someone who's not in media or whatever, any sort of media field will talk about, Oh, someone on Twitter said I was a jerk. And I'm always like, man, you have no idea. Like, (laughs) I feel like you either become hardened to it or it eats you up. And I'm guessing you're relatively hardened to it. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Like I said, I've got a lot of scars on me, I guess, from, from, from the melanoma. So I'm not really too worried about what somebody says about me on Twitter. You were diagnosed, you said, in 2001 with uh, malignant yeah. melanoma. You said three doctors missed it. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually wondering, um, how does that change you? How did that change you, if it did at all, as a political cartoonist, as a you know satirist? Does that affect a person or is it just something you deal with? Yeah, it, it affected me, I think, in the sense that I don't take things for as much granted as I used to. You know, I mean, I, not to sound corny or sappy, but, you know, I get up and run in the morning. And if I see the sunrise and if you go on my Instagram feed, there's a lot of pictures of sunrises because, hey, I got another day. You know, I'm pretty lucky. Right. Melanoma likes to come back. So, I mean, I'm pretty lucky to still be here. Not going to complain about it. Uh, but also, too, when three doctors miss it and, and, you know, it was all, and none of them are bad people. I'm not saying that they were, it, because it's incredibly hard to, to catch these things sometimes. Uh, but the fact that that happened, I feel like that, and not to sound corny, but I feel like I'm here for a reason. So I try to make the most of that reason. The reason I enjoy doing this podcast in a lot of ways is because I feel like you end up talking with people who have very similar sort of uh, circumstances. And um, I do think there's something, you know, I write books mainly for a living. You draw cartoons for the, there's something about these jobs where you are in your head all the time and it's a lot of isolation and it's a lot of you in a relatively dark room with a computer or with a piece of paper or whatever that lends itself to dark thoughts, to isolation. <laughs> yeah. I suffered for a long time with health anxiety and yeah. nothing would kick in my health anxiety more than working on a book, a book deadline where Every day you're just like so hyper focused on this one thing. It just, it does something to the brain. I don't know if you find yeah. that too, where it just fucks with you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's like I said, going back to the whole creative thing. I mean, you look back through history, all these incredibly gifted, like everybody from Winston Churchill to Lincoln to everybody else. I mean, there is the whole, if, if I can create great things, I can also create scary things too. So if I'm mm-hmm. sitting there ruminating, writing and, and coming up with things and great thoughts, I can also sit there and think about, oh, uh, I've got tumors growing all inside of me and I'm going to die. You know, I have to be real careful about that. It really. Yeah. And so, I mean, I completely understand what you're talking about. There are times when I think it'd be great to be a barista. Oh, oh it would. Just like, but, but it's funny. I do. I literally say to my wife sometimes, I would love to be a barista. And then I also, but then I think like the, the, the torture and the pain of it all. It's in a weird way. It's part of the reward, right? I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of part of the payoff. Oh, I mean, it's, I I pray that I can create until the day I stop breathing because it's just, uh, you just feel like, okay, that's my purpose. See, now I had, I had the barista job, but I had it in a different form. I was a janitor for a year, which in a way was the best job I ever had. I just wasn't smart enough to realize it at the time, but you know, it was, it was pretty neat. I mean, eight, eight hours a day. I knew exactly what I needed to come in. I knew exactly what I had to do. I had a checklist. Boom, 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 boom. I did that because one of the problems, you know, with me, I'm so right brain. Sometimes self-discipline is not one of my better uh, functions. Before you continue with two writers singing Yang, quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman and I'm here with my kids, Casey and Emmett. 
And I feel like we've all grown a little tired of doing these ads for 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports memorabilia. Yes. Yes. So today, I thought it'd be cool to do just an exercise I learned in an acting class long ago. Really? Just hear me out. Instead of reciting lines, you spit out the first true thing to enter your head. Just blurt it out there. Emmett, you go first. Fine. I really want a Mike Rozier Pittsburgh Mollies jersey from 503 Sports, and I think that'd be awesome. Didn't that feel good? Yeah, actually it did. Okay, I'll go. Um, when I go to 503-sports.com, I see so many amazing jerseys and t-shirts, I just want to buy them all. Man, that felt good. Casey, you go. I'm five months pregnant, and Shane and I are in love, and we're getting married even if you and Mom disapprove. And I know he's 32 with an ex-wife and a Coors Beer Wolf tattoo across his chest, but he loves me, and I hate you. Uh, that didn't go well. How do you get shit done in 2018 with Twitter, with Facebook, with Instagram, with Emmanuel Lewis pops in your head and you find yourself on his IMDb page and then, oh, look, you're looking at clips of Webster and then, oh, he was also in a Burger King commercial. How do you get anything done? You just nailed something. Number one, I, when I'm not, hang up and, and quit talking to you, I've got to go back to working on a term paper that's due tomorrow. So... Um, and, and this morning I was like, oh, there's a video game. Oh, the dog needs to let be let out. Oh, there's Twitter. I've got to make sure I update my Facebook page. Oh, I need to write something for that. You're right. It's just so distracting. And, and I swear, and my boys both, they look at me and they go, you know, our generation's doomed because we like basically were born with these things in our hands and they hold up their phones. And, And when your 16 year old comes up to you and you said, you know, I can barely read a book now because I'm so, my attention span's so short. I mean, it's a straight A student, so he's not a dumb kid, but I mean, he's just saying, you know, we get so distracted now because everything's the length of a snap. Yep. Like, yeah, so it's hard. No, it is. And I think the self-discipline thing is for me, I joke about the master's I'm getting that I'm actually getting a master's in time management because it's actually teaching me because because when I was just drawing a cartoon every day, oh, yeah, you just go in and draw a cartoon every day. You've got a deadline that is set for you. And it's like somebody holds your hand through the day. Now, you know, I'm doing books, I'm doing speaking, I'm doing, I travel a bit, I do a radio show, I do a television show. My calendar is, I mean, if, if I forget to put something in my calendar, I'm screwed. So right. it's, it's literally, I'm having to develop a part of my brain that I never had to develop. And I think for creative people in the 21st century, that is definitely, uh, should be the first class that you have to take in college. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm looking at a cartoon you did that I really, really like. It was, uh, the news, uh, it was a coming, basically a news, news story. Mississippi was the sixth, named the sixth worst for opportunity for African American kids. And you did a, you did a cartoon. Uh, it's a, it's a starting line for a track meet and you have two white kids at the line, a starting guy with a starting pistol and the African American kid, you know, 10 yards behind the others at the starting line, all in the starting yeah. position. Um, when it comes to issues, that are very hot button issues like race in Mississippi is a perfect example. Right. Um, do you, I don't know. Do you have to approach it in a certain way? Do you have to tiptoe? Is there a cautiousness that maybe doesn't always, isn't your favorite part of your job, but sort of needs to be applied? I, I think so. And, and in, in this, in this sense too, because you go back and you look at the cartoons that were done in the sixties um, mm-hmm. here, and you look at the caricatures and you look how grotesque they are or how, you know, they're, they're cliched or whatever the case is. See, when you work in the middle of a city that's primarily African-American, 
You know, I mean, you're going to draw cartoons about the mayor and about the city council and everything else. But the thing is, you got to be as equally unfair to them as you are to the white politicians. And, you know, and, and that's kind of a degree of what I try to do. I try to be equal, you know, fair in my unfairness all the way across the board. And I've had a couple politicians that have, you know, they've protested the paper or done whatever because they've, they've called me names. And one time I actually went out and protested the paper with him, I actually made a sign and pro- he had no idea who I was. And so he was sitting there saying, Marshall Ramsey's the devil kind of thing. And I had the same sign and I was walking along what? behind him. Wait, wait, oh, wait. Yeah. Tell the story. What happened? What do you mean? Well, it wasn't the time I drew him as a toilet. I think it was one time Who I was drew this? him. Uh, it's, we have a city councilman named Kenneth Stokes, okay. and uh, he's quite colorful. Um, I mean, colorful as in he is a very entertaining guy, uh, but he, he likes to usually do outrage. He's been kind of quiet lately, but he did like he did a thing a couple of years ago about how there were police chases coming into the city from outside districts and it's dangerous uh, definitely dangerous but he suggested throwing rocks at the police which i don't think is a terribly good strategy and so i drew a picture of him with his head flipped open with rocks in the brain with a sign that said free rocks to throw you know like that and so he he generally gets mad when i do stuff like that so he likes to to say that i but i think for the most part you know for 22 years i mean i've managed to somehow figure to figure out the balance what's the most angry someone, a individual has been at you? Um, we had a governor named Governor Fordyce here. That He was the first governor when I got here. And uh-huh. he he had an awesome, awesome temper. And, and, the, and the thing is now that I'm older, I actually kind of respect it a little bit better because he wouldn't stab you in the back. He would stab you right between the eyes. And so <laughs> that's actually kind of refreshing. Um, but uh-huh. he would just sit there – he would call you up and just cuss you or he would cuss you to your face and, and so forth. And, you know, the thing that's a little bit different about Mississippi than say when I lived in San Diego is the fact that, you know, in San Diego, I never would have seen Pete Wilson or I never would have seen Arnold Schwarzenegger, but here you go out to lunch after church, guess what? You're going to see the Lieutenant governor sitting there. So it's, it's a lot tighter knit group. So you tend to run the, you, you see the people that you uh, make fun of. So that makes for some interesting conversations. I get the dirty looks and then somebody will say, you made fun of my uncle. I said, well, your uncle deserved it. You know, <laughs> I mean, wait, so Kirk, Kirk Fordyce, who I'm looking up now is the, uh, he was the 61st governor of Mississippi. He died in 2004, yeah. served from 92 to 2000. So you would do, you would do a cartoon on him and he would actually flip off, flip out on you. I, occasionally. I mean, he didn't every time, but, um, yeah, he'd sit there and scream at, you know, the paper the, about how I drew him and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the ironic thing about it is that he was married to an incredibly popular first lady. And, and there was, he had called out Clinton saying about the Monica Lewinsky thing. And then he got caught with a girlfriend kind of thing. It was just really ugly and awkward. And there was a local television guy here that confronted him and he threatened to whip his ass on television and it ended up on the today show so i mean it was just like salad days for cartooning well i actually the first lady and i became friends after he passed away because she actually did the forward from our first book she was a really nice person and, and she had healed the family and i mean it was just really a cool story and so his son took over the company and the cartoon I did, I did an obituary cartoon. God, I'll go with obituary cartoons, but I did one of him going into heaven. And the St. Peter said, I had to let him in. He threatened to whip my ass. Okay. So I have him going in the sunset. Well, I mean, I got shelled from people thinking that was rude. But then 
you know, Miss Fordyce called and she said, oh, Marshall, the family loves the cartoon and we want the original to hang in his office. So I'm calling back all the other people going like that. But um, so they have it hanging in their in his old office, the cartoon. I just want to say that to me is a genius cartoon. And and here's what my my, you know, 10 cent. 10 cent worth of, of opinion is mm-hmm. it's actually not offensive because it's sort of an honor to the way he was, which is a exactly. badass doesn't take any shit. will tell right. you to your face what he thinks. And you're basically saying that in not a mocking way. If I'd have done something weepy or sad, that wasn't who he was in life. I mean, why do that? You know, I mean that, and that was my point It's like, why do that? You know, it does. It's, it's, you know, and so, you know, because that's the thing. If you're going to bother to do that kind of cartoon, try to capture who they were in life. And then because that's what makes it makes it meaningful. Anyway, so his son likes airplanes. So he bought he wanted me to come over to Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is about an hour away from here and come speak on a Veterans Day event to some veterans from World War Two and, and different wars. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. But I got another speech there. And I said, I can't make it. There's no way I can drive over there. And he said, don't worry, just go to the airport. We'll take care of it. So I'm standing there in the airport waiting for a Cessna to land. And all suddenly a P-51D roars down the runway, you know, and then lands. Dan gets out of it, throws me a parachute and says, get in. I'm like, what the? you know, coolest airplane probably ever built. I mean, I love the World War II fighter. So I crammed myself in the back because it's it's a one-seat plane, but they put a jump seat in the back. And he gives me the most terrifying pre-flight safety thing I'd ever heard in my life. He said, now, if you hear me jump out of it, you see me jump out of the airplane. I'm like, what? Anyway, <laughs> he said, you need to pull this one first, which I had two little, little pull things. He said, if you need to pull that one, First, because I said, what happens if I pull this one? He said, then you're still going to be attached to the airplane when your parachute comes out and you don't want that. And I'm like, oh, God. So anyway, we take off. We fly. We go down the Mississippi River like a treetop level at 300 knots. He takes the plane up straight up 7000 feet, turns it upside down. I'm looking down at the Mississippi. I'm looking at the Mississippi Delta. There's nothing between me except these straps and a little piece of plexiglass. And I hear on the, the headphones. Now let's talk about those cartoons you drew about my old man. Wow. And I was just like, I was just like, Oh God. And then he started laughing and I was just like, Oh, cause then I realized not only could he, he had me at his mercy, I guess he could have ejected me. I don't know, but he had also packed my parachute. So. Wow. Thank God he had a sense of humor. Was that flight terrifying or awesome? It was awesome. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. And I had enough Dramamine in me to basically knock out a blue whale. So I was not going to throw up in his airplane. I got some good videos and I showed my wife and she said, don't you ever show me that again? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, let me throw a final question at you. We, um, sure. one of the things I sort of hate about America 2018, and this goes for all sides is, yeah. um, it seems like most people only listen to what they want to hear. So if you're very liberal, you go to MSNBC and they're reinforcing everything you want to hear. And if you're very conservative, you go to Fox news and they'll reinforce everything you want to hear. And, um, we're horribly unwilling to take five seconds and consider an opposing view ever. And I wonder how that impacts your job. Are people less open-minded to cartoons? Do people show less of a spark of humor than they used to, or does it not sort of apply to what you do? I think it does apply. I think um, people have, like I said, we, we definitely are in our own little silos now. It is fascinating. I'm taking a communications theory class. So 
uh, and I'm not even going to bore you with it, trust me, but I'll just say that there are theories now that pretty much explain everything that's happened in the last five or six years. And, and with the media becoming more fractured like a shotgun, you know, you're right. You can go get in your little safe place and never hear anything else. And so when you do see a cartoon you disagree with, um, some people take it really seriously. And it's it's amazing. I had, you know, I get some letters sometimes. I'm just like going, dude, seriously, it's a cartoon. You know, it's going right. to be OK. Um, right. So, yeah, you, I, I have noticed that. And it's I've talked with other cartoonists and they're like, man, this just isn't as much fun as it used to be. And I mean, it's these are bummer. people that. It's our dream job. You know, I mean, I told my dad at eight, I wanted to do this. I mean, that's how much I, I've wanted to do this my whole life. And there are just some days. But I mean, for the most part, people are cool about it. It's just now everybody has a way to tell you that, you know, you used to just might get a letter or you might get a phone call. Now people can like hijack your Twitter feed for the next 24 hours. And, and you know, so I mean, it's everybody now has a platform. So that is, that's changed the dynamic too. I don't know if we're any more fractured than we ever were. It's just now that everybody has a voice. And so, you know, it, on your Twitter feed, I'm sure, man, I can only imagine some of the stuff that you get. It's interesting. I was just thinking about this, like um, the thing about Twitter, about social media, I guess Twitter in particular, like I, um, I tweeted something out the other day. I went to get my son a basketball, walked into a sporting goods store, uh, they were selling a ton of guns and I just walked out. I just didn't like that. And yeah, I put it up on Twitter and, and I didn't actually, I literally think I wrote, you know, walked into the store, saw this, decided to go somewhere else for a ball. You would have thought I freaking started killing cats. The hostility, the negativity, death threats, people saying, well, now we know he doesn't have any guns and it's easy to find his address. Uh, libtard. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Right. Go fuck your mom. Go, you know, like I would say a thousand. And the thing that's tough about it, I'm sure you find this too. Like to the person writing that tweet, it's a two second response. And then they move on to dinner and watching whatever, you know, right. whatever TV show is on. But it just sits there for you and they mount and they mount and they mount. And it actually ends up feeling much more serious to you than it probably does to the thousand people who took two seconds out of their lives to respond. And I hate that. Yeah, I do too. And, and because there are so many good things. I mean, I've met a lot of cool people on Twitter and I mean, yeah. really actual real human beings. And I bumped into them and, and, you know, I was out in Dallas and ran into somebody that follows me and, you know, and it was just, Oh yeah, I know you. It's great. And, right. and to me, there's such an upside on that. And of course you can build an audience and you can build a brand. But you're right. It's amazing how people, and, and a lot of times, you know, you're thinking, is this a real person? Is this a bot? Is this, yeah. you know, you, cause there, and then there's that because, I think the real danger is that we start thinking social media is reality. And I understand where you came from on that tweet. Yeah, I, I'll sit there and write stuff that I think is pretty tame or doesn't, you know, it's not. And then and people just start shelling you and you're just like, what the hell? Right. You're like, uh, I was just, I just walked into a store. That was it. You know, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean I'm not, I'm not trying to take away your guns, you know, but yeah. Well, Marshall, listen, I, uh, I'm thrilled you did this. Thrilled. I, uh, I've become a huge fan of your work and, uh, seriously, I can't thank you enough. This is great. Oh. Same here. I want to thank today's guest, Marshall Ramsey, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yank. You can follow Marshall on Twitter at Marshall Ramsey and visit his website, MarshallRamsey.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. My still newish book, Football for a Buck, Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL, is available everywhere. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the fantastic MC Whiteout. 
Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.